Welcome to the Walk Podcast of the Thompson Institute, a podcast for students and faculty on your walk across campus as a resource for your spiritual journey. I'm Aaron Badenhop. And I'm Jordan Browning. And we are your hosts and fellow Buckeyes. In the second part of our interview with Dr. Goldman, we ask her to elaborate on what it means that we ought to come to the end of ourselves, and we ask her about her experience in being both a Christian and a physician in academic medicine. I think there are a lot of people who uh, maybe went to a service on around Christmas time on Christmas Eve or went to a Christian worship service for Easter with family or things like that who kind of understand that Christians are supposed to respect Jesus, that uh, God, they've heard maybe that God exists, that God loves us. But I think maybe sometimes there's misconceptions about our our, our standing with God, our relationship to Him. And you, you talked a little bit about uh, surrender and you talked mm-hmm. a little bit about sort of recognizing that we didn't choose well, I think is how you put it. Um, can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? Like, what, is it, what does it look like to, to go beyond just, hey, God exists and God loves me? Like, what, how do you come to the end of yourself is, is basically oh, wow. what I'm asking. Wow, I think it's um, different for different people, how, how and when they come to the end of themselves. I, I think that God is working to draw each of us uh, to himself. But um, sometimes people come to the end of themselves with a crisis or um, they end up in a hospital bed and have time to think. Um, maybe it's um, a dream that was taken away that they're not going to be able to achieve. Um, something that they really wanted to do or to be, and they failed at it, maybe, come to the end of themselves. Maybe it's just reflecting, um, wanting to do right, wanting to be good, but realizing even our motives are are tainted. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know that there's a certain recipe <laughs> about sure. that. Um, but I think it's something that if we live long enough, we all experience, mm-hmm. if we're honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like in, from one degree to another, one way or another, it seems like what you're describing is this, this recognition that sort of life, the way that I have been intending to live it, just isn't working anymore. That the, the goals I'm pursuing are thwarted, the desires I have are, are unmet, the, that there's just something that is, is sort of lacking in in and of myself to sort of make life work on, on my own. And um, is that, is that a, a, an yeah. accurate assessment of what you're, what you're trying to say? Yes. And also, at some point, we come to the realization that life isn't all about me. You know, I am not God. And uh, there is a bigger purpose than just me and my world and me accomplishing my goal, getting earning so much money, having this kind of a house or this kind of an SUV or, or you know, whatever it is, that life is bigger, bigger than me and my situation. And, and um, yeah. 
Hmm. I, I think that's a helpful reminder too, because <clears throat> I, I know for myself, even as a Christian, it is I I see through my lens, and so the world does seem to be about me. <laughs> yeah, I walk around and I'm the main character of the story. Yeah, uh, and everyone else is is an extra, uh, but obviously that's <laughs> not the case. And I think something that even as you're talking, I'm reflecting on what's compelling about Christianity to me is God being one transcendent and like and just big, and so His story is not. I, I am so small compared to who he is, his purposes, what he's up to. But at the same time, he's so personal. You meant that you talked about the relationship that like the Bible reveals him to be a personal God. And so I am invited as an individual into that plan and into those purposes. And I get to play a part um, with the body of Christ, with the church. And I think that that's, that's just super compelling to me that God being both um, beyond me, but then also meeting me where I'm mm-hmm. at. So, um, a, a question for you. Um, I think probably for Aaron and I, it's easy for us as those outside, um, the medical world to maybe, and for anyone else to have our own sort of preconceived notions as to what it might be like, or what the experience would be like as a doctor and, uh, the day-to-day life and, um, but we were just curious, like what your experience has been like as a pediatrician, as a physician, and um, kind of the messages you might be receiving, the pressures, expectations on yourself, or that you notice that others in the field are experiencing that that um, are vying for attention. Yeah, as you're asking me, I think, wow, I've been a, a pediatrician for over 30 years now. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I'm going to give you the perspective of what I see in my students, some, and what I also experienced as a student, because now I'm much more relaxed. (laughs) (laughs) And so when I think about um, physicians, and I think about, there's a lot of stereotypes that go along with um, physicians. And, um, And I think in order to get into med school... The students have to work so hard. They work hard. They study hard. They uh, volunteer at different hospitals. They uh, learn how to take tests. Uh, they learn how to interview, how to present themselves well. They learn how to persevere. They have a lot of delayed gratification. And then maybe they get in. Then they get in med school. And I don't know what you call it in video games when you ramp up to the next level, but that's what happens. Leveling up? I don't they know. level up. That okay. So they, <laughs> they level up. And so then what do they do? They have to study hard. They have to learn how to take tests even better. They have to um, persevere. They have to uh, present themselves well. And there's just a lot of pressure. But now, since they've leveled up, they're no longer at the top of their class. They work their butt off to be average Hmm. or just not to fail. And so that when that happens, it's like they hit a wall. It's like it's an attack on who they have known themselves to be, who their family has known them to be, everybody's known them to be. You know, if they say, oh, you know, I'm having a really hard time, I'm going to take this test, they think, oh, you say that all the time. You know, you always do really well. But now... Hmm. 
sometimes for the first time, not just med students, but graduate students, other students. I mean, now it really, uh, it's, it's a huge thing that I see in their faces and, it, and hear them tell. And it doesn't end there. So they interview again through the whole, go through the whole kind of match process to become a resident. And then if they choose to be a fellow, they go through that again as a fellow. But wait, let me step back because as third and fourth year med students, they rotate through the hospital in different services. And each month they have a different group of people, a different team of people that they are trying to impress in a sense. You're trying to do well because they evaluate you every single month. And what happens is, some months you do well and you think, wow, you know, and you're kind of on top of the world. And it could be like two weeks later, you get some evaluation that's like mediocre and you think, wow, what I do wrong? And maybe you didn't do anything different from the two. And so your emotions are kind of dependent on what all of these um, people are evaluating you on and, and doing. So it's a lot of... Um, either outward affirmation or uh, disapproval. And so you're really, this all happens in a very formative time in a person's life. And so it's, it's really hard then when you hear, say, from the Christian perspective that um, God loves you and you have great value to him. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do on this test. It doesn't matter how you were evaluated. It doesn't matter if you fail a test. It doesn't matter if you ever get into med school. God is not going to love you any more or, or less. It doesn't depend on who or what you become or what you don't become. And that is a really hard message to get through, to let it sink down into uh, someone's very being so that they are... Um, steadfast with that so that they are confident so that they can um, truly believe that more than when they're bombarded with all of these other evaluations and assessments. I see that is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think the effect might be for someone who does not internalize that, that message of, un, of unconditional forgiveness? You know, if someone is feeling like there's always someone evaluating, looking over their shoulder, um, and, you know, they're always trying to measure up to, to the expectations of, of maybe individual physicians and, and faculty, but even the whole system of medicine, they're always having to measure up. Uh, what, what's at stake with living in that system without a secure identity and the love of God? It's extremely stressful a lot, a lot of anxiety, uh, depression, then later on burnout, that's a big buzzword now. Um, uh, it's an emotional roller coaster. Like I said before, kind of like this pendulum that swings, like some days you're wonderful and some days you're not. And um, You have to come to the realization, again, when you talk about coming to the end of yourself, that there will come a point when you realize that you may not have the answer, you may not have the best idea in the room or know the best approach to something, and you realize that you may never become God. And I say that kind of joking, but um, that's the truth, you know, and you have to kind of face that reality. Hmm. But it's, an ex it's, it's very... Uh, 
it's very difficult for a young person, I think, to go through that that process without other uh, support in their life, other people. You know, not just this theory that God loves them unconditionally, but to have people in their lives who love them unconditionally. Mm. You know, like God with flesh on, you know, mm. that's what you need. Aaron, something that stands out, um, not just from this episode, but even from our first uh, episode with Dr. Goldman, is just the compassion and the care that she clearly has, um, not just for her faith, but for the students, uh, for her patients, um, for, for those, even her coworkers, those around her. Uh, it's hard to listen to her and not feel as though, man, this is a person that clearly has been influenced by their faith, and it, it, this is a person I want to spend more time with. She just leaves that impression on you, and, and I, I think her her message there about the love of God, um, and even for what that, how it comes into such conflict for med students who are experiencing uh, so many messages of performance and meeting standards, how difficult that is for them. I, I think even for myself, this is a challenge to truly believe that I am loved by God um, simply because I'm created in his image and this is out of his character. This is just who he is, not because of something that I've done. Well, Jordan, I think what struck me from what Dr. Goldman had to say had a lot to do with her discussion about what it means to come to the end of ourselves, because I think it's easy to think about, well, the only people who come to the end of themselves are the people who undergo some sort of crisis. Their life falls apart in some significant way, some trauma, and that's how they come to the end of themselves. But she she says that uh, sometimes coming to the end of yourself is realizing that life isn't all about me. And uh, I found that to be really interesting because I think in our culture at the moment, uh, there's sort of mixed messages about that idea of life not being all about me. Because on the one hand, you have the world of marketing telling you that it kind of is all about you. I mean, everywhere you go in our culture, there are people trying to sell you things, trying to tell you that you need that new phone, you need that vacation package or whatever it might be. And so we're reinforced with the idea all the time that life is all about you. The world revolves around you. But on the other hand, you have things happening in our culture like the Me Too movement, and, and where rightly so, people point out the evil and, and injustice of individualism for those who have power that they can abuse. Uh, so for those people, uh, life is not, ought not be all about them. Should there be, should there be limits to our individualism? Um, and I, I have to ask, what, what do we use, what do we look to to ground the limits of our individualism? I mean, is there a reason other than legal ramifications for us to look at our life and say, yeah, the, the life is not all about me. Uh, I should limit what I want. <laughs> uh, I should say no to my desires at certain points. Um, uh, and I think maybe the, the, the belief that we live in a world that is first and foremost about God is the best grounding for the idea of limiting our individualism. Well, mark your calendars for Sunday, September 23rd, because at 7 p.m. at the Newport, across from the Ohio Union, 
there will be a Thompson Institute event where we're going we're to be hearing from OSU professors about this question, what is your worldview or how do you see the world? In other words, what shapes how you look at life? And keep an eye out for another release of our next, inter- next part of our interview with Dr. M. Jane Goldman as we ask her about why she thinks the person of Jesus is relevant to medicine and what advice she would offer to students feeling stressed about their academic studies. Thanks so much for listening to The Walk of the Thompson Institute. The personal views presented by the scholars and professors on our podcast do not represent the views of their employer. For upcoming events and for more information, visit thethompsoninstitute.org, a program of CREW at Ohio State.